Welcome to a special episode of the Northwest Scene Report. I am DJ Stim. Um, as uh, some of you may know, uh, I moved from Spokane, Washington, where I've lived in the uh, inland Northwest area for about four years, um, to Boise within the last week. Um, so as kind of a, uh, a celebration of all the, the great bands and uh, musicians, promoters, what have you, um, that uh, I had the pleasure of um, seeing live and talking to. Um, this episode is going to feature um, every track and every interview um, from the Spokane area that has been featured on the Northwest Scene Report. So I will include the set list in the description and enjoy. I will see you next episode.
Alrighty, this is DJ Stim, and I am joined by Cesspool today. Could you all introduce yourselves? I'm Bryce. I play guitar. I'm Andrew. I play bass. You guys can grab it if you want. I'm Sam Nelson. I'm on drums. I'm David Grinder. I'm the vocalist. Yeah, so we all just got done playing a house show. Uh, we what inspired you guys to like throw it like barbecue? Well, it's uh, summertime, and there's been lots of barbecues, so figure we'd just throw our own version of one and have a bunch of music, and I don't know, just an excuse to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... Who doesn't like food, beer, and metal? Food? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really hot down there, it felt like. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just gonna, it's just gonna repeat. So, taking you guys' shirt off, yeah, is that hot? It was fucking hot as shit. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking it. Oh, man. It was, yeah, it was gnarly. So, reaching out to all the bands that played, uh, how'd you get in contact with all of them? How'd you shoot them a message? Well, uh, um, Sweet Home, obviously you're in them, and we've come together just over mutual interests and the scene and all that, so that was a no-brainer. You guys killed it tonight. Oh, thank you. We, uh, uh, Zorlak... Uh, we've known Joel for a while and came overcame some differences in a completely irrelevant matter. And uh, which, which, speaking of, like you guys, yeah, settled that. Yeah, I mean, I there was beef. It happens, and we squashed it, and it was great. Yeah, it's worth fucking. Talk. It was funny on the second episode of the podcast. I actually put <laughs> East Sherman and uh, Policia Crusher <laughs> yeah. uh, next to each other. So we, I was like, we thought that was actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like speaking of scene beef, like I know it's kind of weird to talk about, it, but like the whole situation that went on with the pin, uh, you guys were kind of like right in the middle of it. Like it seemed like there was two separate issues one of them was with the flyer and the other one was with the casualties um so how are you guys kind of like trying to respond to that well uh we definitely don't support the casualties in any way uh we like the people at the pin they're pretty nice to us personally and uh what happened in regards to the flyer uh there was a mix-up on basically some imagery in our logo and uh, it was just taken the wrong way, and there's no real, uh, no real hard feelings on it, honestly. What do you mean? Just to, be, to be honest, like, associ- um, to be honest, associating the umlaut with like Nazi imagery is kind of silly. Like, I know that you guys like probably just put it on there because it sounded cool. Yeah, honestly, we originally did Literally. it because technically <laughs> there is another band that cesspool with the O O L. Right. So that is the only reasoning behind the umlaut in our name. Right. I will say, like, kind of, like, watching it go back and forth between both sides, uh, there was, like, a lot of, like, reactionary, like, response and, like, kind of circle jerking. Um, do you guys think that, like, people need to, like, bridge the gap and, like, kind of, I don't know, realize that, like, we're all in this scene together? Absolutely. Yeah, like, I mean, at the end of the day, when you think about it, a scene is compromised of a bunch of random people who, a lot of them don't even know each other, so, like... This whole situation was extremely random and kind of blindsided us because ultimately most of the people on that post we didn't even know. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we just we're doing this because we want to play music and have as many other new people experience it as possible. So, yeah, we should all definitely come together. Which is really funny because like uh, Sweet Home 
like the show that we're playing with you guys and when the next show is at the pin like we realized that like we were going to be in the middle of it no matter what uh so what do you guys have going on i understand that like you're trying to record some new material yeah we're coming up and probably paying for a actual studio <laughs> as opposed to so that should be good and um i don't know exactly when we're going to be done with it but we're finally starting to get the money together to pay for it, so. Yeah, we got dates scheduled, so it's definitely in the process. As Next couple months. Cool, cool. And uh, so it's, it's kind of weird because I've been watching Spokane's house scene kind of like rise up and then shrivel. Um, as far as I know, only one other place is throwing house shows before you guys. Um, do you guys kind of look at that like in a, in a prideful way, or are you guys just kind of doing what you need to do? Yeah, I mean, it's cool to us, and we work together with those guys. Uh, I believe you're talking about the the hanging decuck. Uh, no, I'm talking about um, the bubble. But okay, sure. It's cool that there's more than. Yeah, no doubt. Ultimately, yes, that is true. Cool, cool. And um, how long are you guys gonna keep on doing house shows as long as you can do them? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ultimately, we just, you know, we're gonna be here. And we try to do them every month, and we're looking at least another year of doing this. So, cool, cool. And um, notice that like Spokane's been pretty dependent on bars lately for shows, and uh, Coeur d'Alene is kind of opening up uh, in that regards too. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? And would you prefer it to just be a house show scene in Coeur d'Alene? Okay. I think if Coeur d'Alene wants to make another like an actual venue, that would be that'd be cool, but. I think that the house shows are, you know, where the heart of at least what we do is, you know, yeah. so just because whatever, we just kind of rock what we got and make it, a, make it a good time anyways, you know? Yeah. So, and that's what I love about house shows is it's really just all friends and shit, you know? Whereas, you know, if you're playing it like the pin or somewhere, like if it's not a good headliner, you're not going to have a lot of people there even <laughs> just, that's just the reality of what it is. And so the house shows are cool because it gives, you know, people a chance to just Especially in, in Coeur d'Alene, because that's where our, all our friends are, you know? So well, I mean, last yeah. time I saw you guys was, like, at the pin, and I know that you weren't really happy with, like, just <laughs> the... <laughs> the sound quality? Well, least. like, the communication <laughs> with the audience. Oh, that too. Uh, the pins is weird, you know, when you're, when you're trying to scream at ten people, you know, <laughs> on, a, on, on a stage, just it's just not... The communication know. takes place through our music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it has to do with us just needing to... We, we're learning as we go, too, and figuring out what and what doesn't work um totally yes. as far as the house shows go like i've <laughs> there's like 50 60 some odd random people out there that we've a lot of them we've never even met before and right. it's fucking awesome just be able to come together over yeah. a bunch of music and hot dogs and just whatever right. just, and uh, just a good time speaking, speaking of learning like uh the the tour that you guys went on how did that go how did that all play out that was awesome. It was really, it was really short, but I think it was the perfect amount of time for us to just get a feel for how mm -hmm. everything works, and we're gonna, we learned what we need to tighten up on next time, and oh, yeah. uh, I think all in all, it was a great success. So we actually had crowds at every, almost every show we played, and we weren't expecting that whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, next, uh, what kind of, uh, what are you guys listening to right now that you're kind of like jamming on and looking at? Chief like Keith and Gucci Mane. Yeah. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Pat the Bunny, Ramshackle, Mozzie, and of course, you know, a lot of black metal. Yeah. Punk. That's definitely my influence. 
Primus. <laughs> yeah. Primus. Yeah, that, uh, Tool, like always. That's pretty much all I listen to, honestly, still. Depends on for, the like, mood the last for year me. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Oh, instrumental shit. And the yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Primus and lots of Radiohead and uh, yeah. Hella. <laughs> some crazy shit. Some of sometimes I listen to the Frog. The fr- pretty cool. You know, like a wide variety of shit. But uh, back at that house show thing, I really think it's fucking awesome because uh, out in Coeur d'Alene, there's really no place to hear these genres and of music. And like, I know that the Decuck possibly might even come back yeah. in the future. And if other people have the opportunity to throw house shows, you know, that would also be sick. Mm-hmm. Fucking. You know, you can always invite Seth Cool. Cool, cool. Alright, so what do you guys what do you guys have coming up, like uh music, uh shows, uh anything to kind of look out for? We have another house show uh here on the twenty second of this month and then we have a bigger show which we're really anticipating. Uh we're really working hard to get a bunch of people out. It's the Devil Driver mm-hmm. uh and thirty six Crazy Fish show on august 20th how'd you guys land that show uh essentially we got in contact with the uh you know the booking agency that uh flannel had fox promotions. yeah flannel fox promotions they uh had been talking to double driver and worked it out and uh yeah they're really cool uh and they let us play the show essentially well that's like that's a name to like with like double yeah. driver yeah a lot of it's come down to people just taking a chance on us and giving us the opportunity like we don't we don't have that much recorded but we've as far as shows go we've been working our asses off the last year or so 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 what's some final words that you guys have to shout out to anyone that might be listening just smoke weed think for yourself okay yeah i mean we're as far as cesspool goes we would just want to make friends with as many people as we can and Sometimes that can be hard, but ultimately we're fucking we're all some pretty chill dudes. I would I would say. Mm. Fuck yeah.
sweet. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, uh, first question to um, just kind of start this thing off was like, what was the inspiration to get Black House Records kind of off the ground? Like, it started just with uh, burning CDs for the most part? Yeah, um, so back in high school, I had a fanzine. <laughs> Because I, re- I used to subscribe to Maximum Rock and Roll. Yep. And uh, I started reading that at probably a younger age than I should have. <laughs> but my parents were pretty cool and they didn't really like... Growing up, there wasn't really a whole lot of... Um, like, uh, shielding me from, you know, realities. And, and my mom always just told me when I was younger, you know, as long as you know what's real and what's fake, you know, we don't care what you watch, we don't care what you listen to. As long as you know that, like, that's not really how, you know, it, it, it's, some of it's, like, portrayed and, and, you know, perception and whatever, but, um, yeah, uh, so I, I got into that, thought the whole fanzine thing was really cool, because mm-hmm. they, they were covering bands that I'd just gotten, I, I got into punk rock at a really early age through my cousin, mm-hmm. he made me, like, a mixtape when I first moved up here from Portland. And uh, I was I was pretty much just magnetized to, to punk rock um, from then on. And uh, no, you'd go into the store and you'd see all these like metal magazines, and they'd never really cover any of the bands that you you know you were into. And, and then I discovered Maximum Rock and Roll and subscribed to that, and um, just thought the idea of a fanzine was really cool because they would cover lots of things. You know, there wasn't it wasn't as canned. As, as a lot of publications are and so I started this one called Stress Factor um, you know just eight and a half by 11 Xerox folded in half saddle stitched I you know made it at Kinko's um, <laughs> uh, that's how I met a friend of mine who I'm still really good friends with to this day Josh Weeks um, yeah he was working there at the time and um, used to give him out at Long Ear and stuff and uh I think by the time I got done with high school, uh, a friend of mine, Tony, and I were, were talking about trying to start like a record label, but there weren't any bands around here that we knew of, right? And um, I mean, the, the bands that were kind of around were like Black Happy, but they had turned into Shovel Jerk, and they kind of like, I mean, David Hayes was around, uh, he was running too many records. Um, which was like very small records. I mean, they, there was a lot more going on in Spokane than, than here. And uh, him and I rented an apartment, and we were roommates, and we were going to, we were going to NIC. And uh, I had joined Scatterbox. Scatterbox had started, and I had went to high school with those guys, um, except for one of them. Um, and while we were recording what... You know, demos for our first record. Uh, this guy Craig Ochinkowski got a hold of me. Said he played in a band called Against All Odds. Knew about Black House because I was throwing the name around <laughs> on everything I could. You know, making flyers and just whatever. More like propaganda than anything else. And he said he had an EP coming out, and he and he had a release party coming up, and he wanted us to open. And then he asked me if he could put the Black House logo on their CDs to make it just look more, you know, like a proper release, you know. And I said, of course, (laughs) why not? I mean, I'm already, you know, I'm already kind of dropping the name everywhere I can. And um, and we did that. We had a release party, and uh, Scatterbox played their first show, and it was at a, a 
Grange Hall and Rathroom. We played four songs twice, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> just kind of escalated from there, I guess. It was kind of coincidental getting that, that first release. Uh, yeah. That's super cool. Well, we had we had a comp before that. So let me let me go back. We had a compilation that we had put out before the Against All Odds disc. Um, uh, so right Sorry. before the Against All Odds thing, we had burned like a hundred copies of a comp, and that was actually Black House One. It was a comp called No Power Like the Youth, and it had a bunch of bands on it. Um, I mean, and it was everybody from... Uh, actually, Botch was on that. Oh, <laughs> and uh, it was, like, really old stuff that they had done. Um, and I can't remember. There was a ton of bands, like Rest Assured. Basically, like all punk bands, like Violent Society were on it. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of them aren't even around anymore. I don't think any of those bands exist anymore. Um, but I might have some copies, like, laying around, if I can find one. <laughs> I think I have a few archived. If I can find one, I'll send it to you. It's oh, it's about as low budget as it gets. Like, it's it's pretty whack, but... It's <laughs> so, <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Uh, yeah, that's super cool, though. Thank you know, since uh, Black House kind of started with, like, CDs... And you said, like, uh, the first thing that got you into punk was, like, a mixtape. Like, how do you feel now that, like, kind of seeing, like, the evolution of things going back to, like, analog, for instance? Like, just, like, looking at, like, uh, what you guys have been playing out lately, there's been, like, a lot of vinyl tapes kind of making a comeback, too. Yeah. Um, like, I guess for the label, it's just been kind of more, like... <clears throat> it... It was more just kind of like supplying what people wanted. <laughs> like we would put out something, and and I mean it was always kind of the natural first go-to to put out like a CD and a digital, like a digital version of it, just for accessibility, you know. Uh -huh. And then it was lots of people just kind of contacting us, going, "When are you? Are you going to put this out on vinyl, or are you going to put this out on cassette, or you know?" And and that. <laughs> That still happens, like, because we'll, 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 like, select formats for a release, and, and it's not, I mean, if we could, like, encompass all formats where you just do digital, you know, cassette, CD, vinyl, like, we would, but it's, like, there's a budget, so you can't really, like, you have to kind of decide on what, what's probably going to work best for the people. I mean, like, um, like, for example, like, Slug Christ, uh -huh. that dude... Vinyl and cassette tapes, for some reason, that's like that's where it's at for him. You know, that's what sells. Uh, Scatterbox, CDs, digital downloads. Um, you know, uh, vinyl. Sometimes it just depends on the artist and who their fan base is, and uh, we try to just hone in on that so we're not creating a bunch of because the physical stocks like it's expensive sometimes. So yeah. it's like if you end up sitting on a bunch of stuff that people don't want it's like it's not that they don't like the artist they just don't have a need for it you know uh -huh. and it's like a really it's a weird like music collecting is like a niche market anymore it's you know but it's cool though because i mean people still like it and they like i me personally i just i like having like physical product like in my hand like i'll still down like if i still like an album like just like for example um like that band Touche Amore put out a new album, and I've I've been following those guys forever, and uh, you know I bought it, and I, you know just because I have the CD, I still downloaded it on iTunes anyway because I wanted to you know 
get it on there, like, just so I'd have it, you know, wherever I went. And, I mean, uh, yeah, it's really easy to just, like, throw the CD, like, into your computer and, like, add it to iTunes, but I want to support the band, so it's kind of like, you know, yeah. Well, it's cool that, like, you have different bands on your label that you kind of are supplying based on need or, like, want. Yeah. It's cool. How long is your waiting Thanks. time for, like, the vinyls that have been pressing? Oh, man. Um... We kind of lucked out because there's there's not I mean there's more record plus there's more record plants now than there was a few years ago and and I used to work uh, before before I ever like really got like super serious with Black House I was working uh, when I first started Moral, when I first joined Moral Crux I I worked at a um, a label called Neuron for about three years two and a half three years. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with Neurosis? Yes. I worked for them for a while, and uh, and along the way, it was like, and and I still, I'm still friends with Kristen to this day, like Kristen Von Till. Um, she kind of taught me like a lot about what what works and what doesn't work, and what you know how to kind of position things, and just just how to run the day to day, you know, without without a lot of noise, mm-hmm. and uh, and how to keep cost low, you know, because a lot of record labels, like you you see it all the time, like. I mean, and, and I get it, like, operating costs and all that, but there there's a lot of really unnecessary shit that labels, like, major labels especially, will spend tons of money on that just isn't needed. Like, it's not necessary. Especially with the internet and social media the way it is anymore. It's like, well, I mean, someone could say that, like, music being so much more, like, accessible now has kind of, like, caused that inflation that the big record labels have to kind of, like... Yeah, the they need to scale it back a little bit, yeah. And that's a smart thing to do. I mean, it was a smart thing to do... I mean, I was it was funny, I was watching a documentary about Mudhoney. Uh, I, I, have you seen that? that? I haven't, but I they, love Mudhoney. They made a movie called I'm Now, I think is what it's called, and it's, like, you can buy it on DVD, but they, uh, they talked about when they signed a reprise... Uh, when they did the piece of cake album, and I think it was like the the five dollar mock cooter stew or whatever, but piece of cake they gave them like something like a quarter of a million dollars, and they're like, go record. Here's your budget, and you the, you know you can live off this or whatever. And instead of like using that to fi- find like a high like a higher producer, they just went to their buddy Conrad's house, Conrad Uno, and they did it there in his garage at Egg, and they pocketed the money and bought houses. That's, like, genius, right? But, you know, no label can, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that'd be cool if I could do that for all the artists, but I can't. <laughs> so it's like, it is what it is, you know. Kind of like hearing, like, you know, Sleep, how much they got for, like, the Dope Smoker album before it was not profitable to release it. Yeah, when Mercury gave them, like, fucking crazy amounts of money for they just it. just spent it on Dope and, uh... Yeah, and they recorded it at, like, Billy Anderson's house or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, shame on majors for being stupid with money, but, I mean, hopefully they got to write it off or something, but, I don't know, I mean, they made somebody's life better so at the go, end of the day. So, uh, kind of, uh, touched on where I want to go next with, um, kind of symbiosis between, like, Lane and Spokane. Sure. Um, so do you think, uh, the music scene in Lane right now still kind of needs Spokane to be there to kind of prop it up or do you think it's starting to yeah. develop into its own thing? No, it does. Spokane is its own... I try to think, I and I hate to say this because, I, I mean, I've, I've lived in Coeur d'Alene forever. Um, I think 
I think Coeur d'Alene to me when I when my perception of just like the music scene in this area Coeur d'Alene is just part of Spokane's music scene I mean you know it's kind of like uh, kind of like Bad Religion talking about being from the valley you know we're that band I mean Scatterbox is I mean we're that we're that band from Coeur d'Alene that's been around for a million years and you know people confuse it sometimes but um you know, no no disrespect to the artists in, in this town. I think I think everybody has a lot to offer. Um, it's just it's weird. It's like this area is just like this weird pit. You know, you come down off the pass. <laughs> you know, with whatever direction you're headed, and uh, you're in the like this big bowl, and it's really contained. And you know, there's there's bands that will skip Spokane just because it's not profitable enough for them or something, you know? And so they'll, they'll go straight to Seattle or they'll go straight to Boise or they'll, you know? I mean, I've seen I've seen tours lately where they've completely skipped Spokane and gone to Walla Walla. And you're like, what the fuck? But, yeah, like, uh, I know. What group was it? No, but there's been a couple of, like... Napalm Death. Yeah, Napalm Death was, like, yep. a big one. They skipped Spokane because Walla Walla had a better just a better guarantee and they knew the turnout was going to be good and I mean that's that's nuts like that that's a sign that something's wrong <laughs> like you know with a, with a city this big you know yeah we're good thank you this is like a shame because like Spokane in general seems like it's like from what I've seen just since I've moved here it seems like it has like a pretty like heavy underground scene yeah like just it's, it's rougher because it's, it's an industrial town it's gotten it's gotten I, to me it feels like it's gotten a lot better mm-hmm. over the last few years I mean there was always something going on here right but it seems like people it, it just it, it seems like people are working harder now at it at just getting getting Spokane on the map in general in right. Coeur d'Alene I think I think there's more I think people outside of this area know about what's going on here more than they did you know three years ago or four years ago um, and that's not anybody's fault really I mean it's not to say like that we're lazy or whatever but I think it's just you know it's expensive to live here it's it's hard to find time to do both you know right. to work a day job and, and, and try to make art at the right, same right. time so just speaking about the codependency that Coraline has with Spokane mm-hmm. uh, the volume festival um, ah the volume festival yeah so what was it like uh, <laughs> setting up booking with the pin and is this your guys' first year uh, this will this will be the first official year uh-huh. um this is the second year that we've done a showcase for the volume fest um and the Last year it was just kind of thrown together. It was uh, it was like, hey, you know, it, it was actually Matt from the Colorflies who got me in touch with Patrick Kendrick, and he's the guy who handles like the whole thing. Um, just kind of shot in the dark. I said, hey, I run a small label. We've been around a long time, but I'm kind of giving it a real go, like right now, and wanted to see, you know, if we could throw together a little showcase or something. We just kind of threw together like a five or six band showcase, and it was like he was like, okay, well, I have, you know, I have this. I have the observatory, you know, we've got bands scheduled for this time, they're going to start around 7 or 8, 
if you want to squeeze like your showcase in at like four to you know there's like yeah. worst possible time slot but the fact <laughs> is is that he was really cool and like letting us do that because mm-hmm. he could have easily just been like no right. no we're full sorry you know right. and uh so he gave us a shot thank you so much um we did it he actually came out and hung out for a little while, and I got to I got to meet him like in person, and uh, you know, we talked about possibly doing it again next year, and and, and uh, lo and behold, you know, I hit him up and said, "You want to do this?" and and he was all about it, and this time it's like it's it's like a legitimate thing, like we we've got, I mean. You know, I hit up Rascast, who's on the label. I hit up, you know, uh, Slug Christ and, and Nobodies. And those guys are all on the East Coast, and it's it's more of a hip-hop thing. But, you know, that's the whole label's got a whole bunch of different stuff happening with it. But, um, yeah, flights are booked. Like, hotels are booked. Like, they're, they're coming. It's happening. So, um, hopefully the turnout's really good. The pin's probably the best possible venue you could have for something like this uh 15 bands two stages it's gonna be uh it's gonna be an endeavor for sure so oh, so you guys will be bouncing back and forth between the main stage and that's yeah that yeah like sometimes? yeah all the um it's gonna kick off around like four um and then it'll go all the way until you know until it's done so uh and then you know we we're in the process of just kind of figuring out the logistics and time slots. We got a day sheet finished. Uh, just made a bunch of, had a bunch of sunglasses made that we're going to give away to the first, you know, batch of people through the door. Uh, I'm in the, trying to put together a giant like banner. I'm making this big flag, you know, out of like black sheet material from a fabric store. It's going to be like ten by fifteen. Just with a giant, we got. We figured out that, and Kristen from Neurot actually told me how to, how they did this. But Neurot did this big, like they do this festival called Beyond the Pale in San Francisco every year, and they made these huge, like giant, like almost like, you know, 1984 like banners hanging on each side of the stage with the Neurot logo on each side. And I was like, how the fuck did you make these massive like? I've been hitting up banner companies, right? Like, how do I get a banner that big? And she's like, actually, Jason, the drummer in Neurosis, made them. She's like, they bought the sheet at, like, a fabric store, hung it up. They got an overhead projector. And they just shot the image up there, and he painted it in white. And that was it. So that's what we're going to... We're going to... We're going to rip that off. We're going to try to make a Black House one, so... I'm sure people will, like, appreciate that aesthetic, for sure. Should be a good time. It's just basically going to be a giant party. That's how all the bands and all of us are looking at it. Is like an all-inclusive. If you if you are downtown, and you are gonna if you're going to be a part of that festival at all, you know, come to kickoff night and watch watch us all get real stupid. I mean, it should be a good time. So, um, <laughs> so talking more about a scatterbox and your personal like uh, projects going on. Yeah. Um, how many years has Scatterbox been going at it? Uh, 16 years as of February of this year. I mean, long it's like pretty long longevity for, you know, punk bands. A lot of punk bands are just going to play now one record and then... Yeah. And yeah, we all, I mean, so Tom and Ryan and I all grew up together. Um, and we've known Mark for a really long time. And Mark Mark was a, a good friend of ours before we ever even considered, like, asking him if he wanted to be a part of it. Because he was kind of doing, like, other things. Like, he was in a metal band for a while. And he played um, 
he played in a couple other punk rock bands and stuff. And then uh, we met Jared. We've had a lot of guitarists. We've had like we probably sawed through like five now. I think five or six. But um, well, I mean, if you're going to replace a member of guitarist versus that, I don't know. yeah, it always seems to be a guitarist or a drummer. Uh-huh. Yeah, or like drummers don't even get like credit for being actually an official member of a band sometimes. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we had a guy named Dan, and then he went, he did the first two albums with us, and then we got Jared Brown, and he did the second two albums, and then we had Chris Copolis, who's in Nightcap now. He's back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got uh, Sean Nickel from Intifada, an old, like, kind of legendary Spokane band. And um, then we got Justin Smith, who's a friend of ours for a long time, and he was in a lot of different bands. He was in Linus and, God, Call Me Renegade and a bunch of stuff. Um, but we got Jared back. Uh, Jared, Jared took a long break uh, from us for a while. Uh, we did, I think, two albums without him and now he's back and we actually just last night uh, worked on we're, we're working on a new album right now awesome. yeah and we've all been friends for a really long time so I think that's I think that's kind of like the secret to it for us is just we were all friends before and we all kind of have like personal lives and kids and all that and jobs so we're not like around each other all the time and I think that's what keeps things I think that's just what keeps like it, we're, we're almost more like brothers than anything else mm-hmm. so like, uh, I noticed that, like, you guys have played, like, the, the Hogfish a couple times. Yeah. Um, so, as far as I know, that's been, like, one of the only places that's been throwing punk shows besides just people's houses. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you, uh, in general, like, Hogfish kind of opening up the doors for, like, punk and, like, ska nights and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really cool of them. Yeah, like, uh, in general, do you think, like, more bars in the area should just open up their doors? Because Spokane, in general, a huge chunk of the scene mm-hmm. is bar related. You know, there's, like, the Big Dipper, there's the Pin. Yeah. And then there's, uh, you know, uh, where else, the Observatory. Yeah. I think if, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say, I, I you know, it, it'd be cool to, to see more people in town like I guess if you wanted to save the trip to Spokane like it might actually get more people out the door to, to come in you know I mean cause there's I mean it, it could be people you know like like coming to crickets right but they don't want to go to the hogfish like cause it's out of the way and or they just don't like it there you know I mean so I, I, I mean I could see the bars making more money I mean if if, if Iron Horse you know open the door for more like uh, you know bands that play I mean I know they have like cover bands playing stuff and I think they've had Mellifluent play a few times but oh, it's tough to say man I mean it 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 could it could help you know for sure I mean I, I think uh, there's a there's a club this place over here the Rocker Room mm-hmm. they, they've had a couple shows there um, that were actually kind of cool like we played we played there one time with a few bands and that was actually a lot of fun there was a lot of people there too which was like pretty intense because I didn't we didn't really know what to expect you know right it was right after because it used to be a strip club but uh-huh. kind of it was like a topless I think a top bikini strip club thing I don't know but um after that closed down yeah that's when uh it, it turned into something else for a little bit I think and then it was a rocker room and they all of a sudden wanted to have a show and I was like wow in that place and it it turned out was really cool um House shows have always been kind of our thing. Like, we love that. We've always, I mean, it's been, there used to be a house here, you know, the Hanging DeCuck or whatever. Did you ever hear about that place? I have not. It was a house over by Lakers. Mm -hmm. And it was like, (laughs) it's almost like condemned. 
But they used to have shows in the basement. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, last time I went to a house show in this area, there was one off of Lakeside. Mm-hmm. And I saw, like, Plague Shaman and, like, Cesspool and all those bands. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, it couldn't have been bigger from, like, right here to, like, uh, the check-in. Sure. And there was a drip, like, from a pipe. <laughs> and I was, like, when I imagine, like, a house show, I'm yeah. like, this is it. Yeah. So, uh, Nothing wrong with that. Alrighty. Um, so... In general, like, lately, like, uh, when it concerns your label and also, like, you know, personally, uh, what are some acts in general that you think are kind of, like, you know, bringing the heat, like, either in this area or in general from outside? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of hard because I'm kind of biased. Like, <laughs> I'll, I mean, you know, if I really like something, I'll, I'll try to pursue it, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't like everything else that's going on it's just I just I don't know something clicks but um, East Sherman I've always been yeah I've always been like a fan of those guys in fact I've hit them up a couple times because I've wanted to release something by them but they're very they're very self-contained unit you know and you get I mean you gotta have respect for that uh, you know Joel's a great guy Avery's awesome Catherine uh, yeah um trying to think of who else man uh i haven't heard cesspool yet but i've heard of uh and trying to think man like what have i been hearing a lot more of lately uh it's funny because like some of the dudes in bands like on the label will send me links to like band camp pages of stuff that they've heard and there's so much of it lately it's been hard to to keep up with i really like children of adam that shit's crazy. I, yeah, I really dig those guys. Um, I was always into Foss. Just those guys are all. I mean, the the I haven't met all of them, but the folks that I have met from the band have always been super nice and just very. I mean, and that's kind of the big thing for me is like, if you've got a huge chip on your shoulder, and you you know, I don't know. There's a. I, I'd like to think that there's like a certain level of being humble that kind of needs to come along with your artistry or else it just yeah I get turned off by it but, um, yeah, I don't know man that's a tough question there's a lot of really good bands out there right now okay so like for kind of like the reaching towards the end here uh, or just some words that you have for like you know individuals that want to become like more involved in the scenes and just like uh, you know contribute to like the culture of this area. Just get out and do it. I mean, like you and me sitting right here. I mean, you wanted to interview me. You have a, you have something going. It you know it it's something that you you felt like you it kind of felt like it was something you felt like you had to do right. I mean that's. That's kind of how. That's kind of how the label is for me. It's like I kind of feel like this is just, like I was just I'm supposed to do this. Like this is just how it is. Whether it, it's a failure or if it's a success, it's just, it's what I enjoy doing. And I think if, if people, if people like what, what the, what they're doing, you know, then fuck by all means just do it. Like just get out there and do it. Because otherwise, if you just sit there and talk about it and then you don't do anything, like, nothing happens, right? And it, it doesn't, you know... I mean, I know it sounds kind of like a 
kind of a bland answer, but it's very true. Like, I mean, I I try to find the time, you know, and I, 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 know, I know everybody out there who wants to get involved can. I mean, the, I, I've yet to see that, that anybody in this has been not accepting of people wanting to contribute. I mean, I know that that in other parts of the U.S., you know, you hear about that, like, oh, the scene's really clicky and blah, 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 and like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I, I would support anybody saying that about Spokane and Coeur d'Alene, just because I think people are just, in general, music fans, you know, and if, I mean, I, I, I would hope that this, even the Volume Fest, like, when we do the showcase, having, like, grunge bands like you know fuzz rock bands like the color flies on the same stage as like rotmonger or like you know zan or 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 slug christ you know hopefully that can kind of put to bed any sort of like thoughts that that you have to just roll with one type of genre and play with just those bands or, or whatever i just i that's the one thing i just hate the most about scenes in general is like don't you know get over yourself <laughs> hey everybody's trying to just have a good time and make music and you know if you don't like it that's cool you don't have to nobody nobody's gonna make you like anything you know but we're all human and we're all i i'd like to think that we're all inherently decent people so we can't why can't we all just get along all righty any final words that you want to Say before calling it. Oh man, uh, just chill, man. We just like. Let's see. Uh, what's up? I'll say hi to some people. Uh, say hi to the guys in Wasted Breath. Uh, those guys are awesome. I mean, I that was that's a band I should have mentioned in your earlier question. Uh, great punk rock band from Spokane. Uh, good guys. Like we're we're playing our first show finally with them on June 9th. We've tried a few times and it keeps falling through, but it's finally gonna happen this time. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, I don't know. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Uh, Jim from Moral Crux. <laughs> Your kitchen looks great. Uh, good job on the remodel. No, man, I don't really have anything else. www.blackhouserecordsinc.com All right. Get it. Bye.
exploiting people on the internet. It's horrible. That's how the government finds out everything that you do. Sure, uh, I'm Tyler Arnold, uh, one half owner of the Jedi Alliance in Spokane. So, um, like, opening up, like, the Jedi Alliance, like, in general, like, the format that you have is pretty ambitious. Uh, when was, like, the first indication that you wanted to open up something like this? Well, my brother and I have been, uh, selling collectibles and stuff ever, I mean, from the beginning when we started collecting them, we found out selling them, we could sell things we didn't want to keep to buy things we did want to keep so we started there and we've always talked about eventually one day if we put our collections together uh, buying a building and doing that so really I mean we've been talking about it for 20 years and then uh, a couple years ago we really started talking more about it and it's just all the foot traffic just yeah. going. Sure. getting um finding a location, getting the money to buy the building and that, that was really the final catalyst was when I sold uh, my Johnny Ramone guitar, I had this big stockpile of money, so I was like, well, if we're going to do something, let's do it now. So that was the, the final inspiration, I guess. Alright, and uh, yeah, it could be argued that like the Jedi Alliance is kind of like the house that Ramone's like... Build, that's true that um yeah in a lot of ways from even from back before i got the ramones guitar or any of that i mean back all the way to when i first started listening to the band and the lessons that i learned just from how they did things you know they're just four guys that uh didn't like the way things were so they are gonna get up and do something about it and that whole diy punk rock DIY mentality and I kind of I mean I think a lot of people that listen to punk rock bands and Ramones adopt that you know why why sit around and wait for somebody else to do it because it seems like nobody ever does anything you know so you just get up you go out and you do it so like when you were first like playing arcades like was punk music just something that was always in the background no, when I was playing arcades, I was young. I, w- I wasn't into music at all, really. Whatever's on the radio, you know. But I always was drawn to, even as a young kid, like four or five, I was always drawn to, like, uh, Cyndi Lauper and Billy Idol. And I always wanted that the other side of it, because I would see it on MTV, and I thought, when I watched a Billy Idol video, I thought there was, like, this whole other world, like, this Blade Runner-type world out there somewhere, and I I was excited by that. I didn't really get excited by the, the you know, the whatever pop songs of the day. I wanted that, it, the more, even at, like, four or five years old, like, so I, was, I was in love with Cyndi Lauper, and I wanted to be Billy Idol, so... Then start playing arcades and you know seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. And I didn't really start getting into punk rock until I was a teenager. Right. So, uh, what was like the first like cabinet that really caught your eye like, when you first started playing arcade? Like back in as a kid, um, we would go to uh, pizza restaurants. That mm-hmm. seemed to be like the place, you know, that kicked off the arcade thing and. There'd be Joust, or there would be uh, Cocktail, uh, Miss Pac-Man's were... Joust is so good. Yeah. So, so games like that, and then 
as I got older and was able to go to arcades on my own, it was the mid to late 80s, so games were simulator-type games like Stun Runner, um, Afterburner, driving games like Outrun, those kind of games. So that's really what I have a fondness for, is either like the original stuff like Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Centipede, Joust, or the simulator-type games. Right. And then, of course, there's always pinball, you know. Um, pinball that I have fondness for are just games I had exposure to as a kid. It's all like, uh, sorry, I'm probably going to ask like, a really convoluted question. So, like, how, like, arcades for, like, a period of time just seemed to, like, die off and get crossed, and now they seems to be making a comeback? Kind of how a lot of, like, um, collectible shops have been opening up, too. Do you think there's kind of something punk in that, like, reclamation, or do you think it's No, unfortunately, what I see a lot going on is it's it's not like this whole... You're going to take Conquer the World, you know, mm-hmm. anarchy in the USA type thing with arcades. I, I see it more as the kids that grew up playing arcade machines are now adults. They have expendable income. They're looking for a place to go. And most of the time, it's centered around alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I think they're more just a business. All right. Are you kind of talking about, like, the arcade bars? That's what most places are. Either there's arcades that have managed to survive that are still family-friendly, but as far as I've experienced, there's no real family-friendly arcades popping up. You know, it's... They either have survived since the beginning or they're coming back in, but they're they're focusing on alcohol. So, the Jedi Alliance, like, um, does it, it officially has, like, church status, doesn't it? Yeah, we're a 501c3. Um, we established as a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we are in a church building. We, have, we adopted the Jedi religion as our, you know, religion. So we are officially a church, but we pay all our taxes, you know, we're not exempt from taxes, we, we pay all that, which has actually helped us in a lot of ways, because people hear, oh, you're a church, so you can get around certain laws, and then we have to say, actually, no, we pay all those normal exemptions that we would get if we pursued them, but we don't, we just pay the taxes, and it seems to change people's minds pretty quickly. So, uh... You've been um, involved in the punk scene in Spokane for a long time. Uh, how did going from like you know, the age that you started playing arcade? Like, when did you really start like, kind of coming into your own as like, a musician? So when when I was nine years old, um, Guns N' Roses was like coming up. They're like Appetite for Destruction came out, and it really excited me. I was like, whoa, this is like, what is this? Something new. This isn't poison. This isn't the the fluffy side of it. This was like real, I mean, this is junkies with guitars singing about what they're doing. And I was nine years old, and I saw that, and I said, wow, this is exciting. Well, if you look at Guns N' Roses, you'll see social distortion. You'll see... Uh, Ramon stuff, you'll see Sex Pistols stuff. So you would see that like on stickers on their guitars, or they wear a t-shirt, and then you start going, whoa, if if Guns N' Roses is cool, those bands must be cool too. And a friend of mine, his older brother, was like, hey, you gotta check out this band, and the first punk rock band that I ever heard 
that I knew was punk rock was The Cramps. We listened to Bad Music for Bad People. First song I ever heard was Human Fly. And I mean, we were hooked. It was like, holy cow, this is amazing. So it just, from there, you know, you, you, you just get hooked into it. And you get, you start searching out, you know, Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols and all that. And eventually that led me to the Ramones, you know. It was like, well... I want to check out that Ramones band, and at, once I heard them, it was all over. That was like my favorite by far. Yeah. What was the first band that you were like really involved in? Like me personally, like a band that I was in. Yeah, like yeah. And really, the I mean, we did stupid little bands when we were in junior high and stuff. But uh, I started a band with a group of friends when I was. About 20 years old, uh, they called the Hell Rods in that last couple years, and then that broke up, and then uh, we started Dead Ones USA, and it's we've been going nonstop with that for 16 years or whatever. So, right, right. Uh, at, like Dead Ones, how long have you guys been together as a group? Well, officially we started the beginning of 2002, so. 15, 16 years I started writing for that project in like 2001 I met a few guys and then we started to gel become a band like I mean it was December 2001 January 2002 and then uh, we've gone through quite a few members over the years as most bands do that are around that long especially bands that don't make any money at all which like that's like that's longevity for like a punk band like, some even for a successful punk band that's like a long time but I, I just look at it like what else am I going to do you know I, I enjoy it you get um, the older you get the harder it is to hold on to friends because unless you have a common purpose to get together it seems like people stop getting together so I like it it's fun to you know I always want to play guitar so okay uh, so I think I'm about to wrap it up but is there okay. any like uh, websites or like social media that you want to plug into I mean really the only social media that we do is we do the Facebook thing um, we're not we're pretty old school I mean I still hang up flyers you know I'm still a flyer guy every time I see a reader board uh, in town I'll put a flyer on it so we, we do uh, use Facebook quite a bit, and it seems to work. We're, you know, get the word out. So if you could follow Jedi Alliance on Facebook, uh, I try to do at least a weekly update. Hey, this is what we got going on. This is what we're looking forward to. Come out and play. And uh, is there any last words that you want to say to anyone that's, like, listening in, like, this? Well, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, uh, DIY. That's uh, DIY or die. That's that's kind of the motto. Um, don't wait around. If every something, I mean, it would be a lot more interesting world, I think. So that's it. Just get off the couch and do something, whatever that is. Whatever that is. If it's throwing a balloon at the neighbor, you know, water balloon, or, you know, just start a band, play guitar, scream into a microphone. Do something. Awesome.
I see when I look out there, if you want to know. Hey, yeah, I'm curious. I see the underdeveloped resources of northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I see a syndicated development consortium exploiting over a billion and a half dollars in forest products. I see a paper mill, and if the strategic metals are there, a mining operation. A green belt between the condos on the lake and a waste management facility, focusing on the newest rage in toxic waste, medical refuse, infected bandages, body parts, IV tubing, contaminated glassware, entrails, syringes, fluid, blood, low-grade radioactive waste, all safely contained, sunken in the lake, and sealed for centuries. Now, I ask you, what do you see?
yourself to anyone that might be listening at home? My name is Solomon Steiner. I'm a local promoter and talent buyer. I am an NYDM member. I'm the prospecting vice president of the Eastern Washington chapter, and I have been involved in the Spokane music scene since on and off since I was about 18 years old. I drum for Withheld Judgment and Alcohology, and I'm kind of a band leader for pro-abortion, I guess, if that's what you call it. Right. So, uh, starting off at like such a young age, was it something that you always had like a dream of wanting to do since you were like younger? Well, actually, I got into, um, I got into booking basically because of having a young band that uh, is now actually partially bandmates of Withheld Judgment. They were in World of No Tomorrow out in Sandpoint and there was nowhere to play out there so I would um, I would go and rent the community hall out there and get kegs of beer and we would party and pretty soon I started inviting Spokane bands out there and then when I relocated out here um, kind of just kept booking more and more and whatnot but I actually know I was always the guy just hiding in the corner at shows. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, coming out of Sandpoint, like, I, I see bands play there from time to time, but, like, obviously it's isolated to where there's, like, not even for, like, a huge community. Was that, like, a challenge that you had booking those early shows? Um, honestly, what I did to deal with it is that I changed, I had a band that we finally were called Ulcerative Coitus. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know, bleeding sex. <laughs> I, uh, that was all my old guitar player, but it was uh, we were semi-improvisational, but just really weird experimental noise. But we changed our names literally at every show. We never had a name. We changed it so it would seem like there were different bands, but it was literally I, I pretty much one of three or four bands that would do it and would get whoever. We had Skinwalker come from OMAG. We had Shrieks of the Impaled and Odyssey come from Spokane and a couple other and uh, just kind of grew from there. It was I, it was something that it was largely kept alive because we had jack shit else to do. Right. So, and so the challenges of like booking in Sandpoint did it make booking in Spokane a little bit easier? Like as you got more involved in the community? Um, yes, it did. But at the same time, I booking in Sandpoint, it was always a situation where. I knew I was losing money, and so it wasn't quite booking so much. I didn't understand the talent buying situation and just the general ways with with the, the way shows are structured to be successful. And so it was good because of the trial and error. And so on the do-it-yourself level, yeah, absolutely. It was great for troubleshooting and getting to the point where I was comfortable taking on bigger things. But honestly, until this year, I I've always felt like I was kind of just do just a guy out there supporting what was going on and this is the first year we're actually getting contacted by agencies being repeatedly contacted by seemingly larger and larger bands has gotten me to the point where i guess i kind of take it seriously now but it was one of those things i was always laughing about it and just being like fuck we'll open dude like this sounds awesome sure i'd love to play with you guys instead of driving over to seattle to see you and so that was pretty much as simple as it got now it's the game of let's just make it interesting enough with enough different uh, subcultures or subgenres interested so at least it's a fun show and that's that's the most important thing and if I lose, I don't know, 50, 100 bucks and I'm not spending the money to go to Seattle, 
still a win-win for me. <laughs> so, like, all the genres that seem to be popping up, like the micro-genres with, like, the internet kind of giving the room to do that, has it made it harder to, like, book shows where all the acts kind of line up stylistically? I actually think that that's one of the funnest things that I get to do is find somebody that, that Sweet Home, for example, that's one of the things that was really impressive um, right off is that it plays to six or seven different subgenres and different groups that might be interested and that's one of my favorite things and actually doing dank stock that's one of the main things that it's always been my idea to do so i want to build a bill that turns a jazz band into a metal head and i want to build the 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 bill that makes a metal head be like holy shit i fucking love this hip-hop guy that's the kind of stuff that me as a music fan is the fucking best dude it is that's it Speaking of Dank this is the second year that it was in. This is, this is actually only the first year. I did a Metal Fest camp out about five years ago up um, at the Flowery Trail Barter Fair site. And um, that was just kind of, it was impromptu. It got bigger and bigger and bigger. This was only the first year for Dank Stock. But after the first initial figuring out about the land, the logistics, everything, and seeing how many people actually wanted to support it, I'm I'm really looking forward to see who all is interested in doing it. I know which bands already have been like, yeah, I would love to be on it again next year, but my main goal and my main goal with going out onto the road with Withheld Judgment and any bands so that we can get to go with us is just to see the bands that haven't really established themselves. So we consistently bring the whole group of musicians together to basically do do a big show where we're we're the audience. We're always going to be the most excited. I'm always more hyped than anybody. Just be like, hey, there's a band I haven't seen, and they they rule. They're the best. And and so I think that with Dankstock, one of the things that I potentially want to see it become is just us all partying for a weekend and making the connections. So even if we're only going to the coast, we've got friends and we've got a supportive base instead of just always being business, which is rad. Uh, how do you like? You said like you know you have a full time like labor job, you go to the you know venues throughout, you did things dog, and then you're also like raising like a family that's sizable and participating in bands. How do you find time for that all? Um, my wife is the shit. I honestly, I have five kids. I have a loving wife. I do work normally about fifty hours a week, and. I have one day I get a jam and potentially have have uh, the band practice, and it kind of gets broken up in between bands. But at, honestly, as far as rationing time, the biggest thing that I think really helps me be motivated is it's not a job. It's never going to be a job. If I lose money on this until the grave, I'll be happy paying to play my hobby and loving the hell out of it every time I get to do it. And if there's no audience, fuck a fan base. I play for my friends, I play for other musicians, and more importantly, I play because I love to do it. And so that's that's why as soon as it becomes a job, as soon as I have to sit down and feel like I'm pushing papers, I'm probably gonna stop doing it, but it hasn't happened yet. So like, on top of that, uh, time restrictions that all of those take, uh, you also had a workforce injury on the job. Uh, what happened and how do you feel about the response that the community kind of had 
I honestly couldn't be I overwhelmed is honestly what I would say because I as far as the injury falling off of the roof when I, I basically fell about uh, 12 feet and uh, and it was my first fall my biggest <laughs> the, the, the biggest upset is I can never again say to my my base of workers oh I've never fallen and that's a big deal it's it's always what I say to calm guys down and it's gotten to the point now where I can't say that anymore but the response that I've gotten since I've fallen, I've had three different people step up to throw me benefit shows. I have one in Spokane here, I have one in Seattle, and I have, um, I basically got, I, I, I don't even know how to say thank you enough for it. I, I've gotten to the point where I, like, I've, I don't deserve all the help and all, all my friends keep kind of like smacking me upside the head and be like dude shut up you do stuff all the time for other people just let us do it and at this point I'm just I just keep keep just being overwhelmed with all the kindness that everybody's shown it made me really realize how many people really do appreciate what I do in a way that I I can't even express back to them so uh, the projects that you're in, uh, what shows are coming up that you'd like to see? I would say that, that right now there's actually a little lull, but um, in the month of August, I have the benefit show that is the 19th that um, has Alcohology, Ground Zero, Dysfunctional Chaos, and Critical Mass on it. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then I have Stick Fest going on, which will be the 17th and 18th of September, and there's numerous bands on that one. And then the 22nd, we have um, Lick King with, uh, with Alcoholgy supporting and other locals. And then October 28th, there is the biggest show I've ever thrown, um, which is Veil of Noth, First Fragment, and Vervum with support coming from Aetherius, Odyssean, and Zon from the Tri-Cities, and then withheld judgment and benign on that one, and that's my shebang for the year. That's that's the big one. You can hold it closer to Guys, we are all here enjoying the shit out of ourselves, and I look forward to meeting everybody who's interested in music. I'm fans, bands, musicians, anybody who loves this like we love it. We're happy to be family with you. And how can uh, people looking to kind of like reach out uh, find you and find the projects that you're in? Basically, you can uh, you can find us through. Uh, Online, Solomon Steiner on Facebook, or you can look up the Eastern Washington Death Militia chapter. Myself, the vice president, or Shane, the prospecting president, Shane Cork. Uh, we're happy to tell everybody it's not hard selling you on our club, which is completely separate. It is just basically we have the knowledge. We will be happy to give to anybody about any shows, and it's not just about our shows. It's about the community and whatever's going on with it. And Always keep an ear to the ground because musicians are always on the hustle. So even if I don't have the information, it's something that talk to the local guys in the garage making noise because you're probably going to see them on stage real quick.
Welcome, welcome to the 